We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com B-E. We have to trust professionals to be professionals. That's what I think it really gets down to is that it's, it's based in that, that trust and support of those educators that they will do what they need if they're given the opportunity to do so. Dr. Chris Jones here and welcome to Seeing to Lead, a show designed to help leaders increase their ability to effectively support, engage, and empower their staff through intentional practices so that they create an environment where everyone reaches their greatest level of success. On Seeing to Lead, communication rules the day as we hear voices from both teachers and leaders in an effort to examine perspectives, highlight misunderstandings, and provide steps to ultimately bridge the gap between what teachers need and provide through thought thoughtful dialogue. This show is about amplifying voices, creating understanding, and providing information to help everyone continually improve. I want to personally thank you for taking the time. Now, let's get to getting better. Alex T. Valensic is an educator, former small business owner, Boy Scout leader, volunteer drug prevention specialist, and self-proclaimed geek of all things. Alex has worked as a substitute teacher, fourth grade teacher, and curriculum coordinator since July 2021. He has been serving as the professional learning coordinator in Freeport, Illinois, organizing summer institutes, new teacher academies, and supporting ongoing professional learning for all staff through a variety of differentiated learning pathways. I'm excited to talk to Alex today. He has a lot to offer, and I really liked one of his phrases that he used in our pre-recording chat about um, professional development for teachers being one size fits none to one size fits all. Welcome, Alex. Thanks for having me. So um, obviously, you know, you, you were a former small business owner. How did you go about getting an education? If you could kind of round out your story for us a little bit, tell us how you got where you are now. Yeah, sure. So actually, I made the decision to go into education when I was in fourth grade. I know not a lot of people set their career path at the age of 10, but I knew it was what I wanted to do. And for a lot of my life, that was just you know making the choices that would help direct me towards education. But it got to just about the time I was graduating with my bachelor's degree in education. I realized I needed a job. I was getting married that summer. And because of a lot of issues going on in the community where I was, there were not a lot of job openings available. And there happened to be a guy I went to church with who had a small business doing custodial cleaning. And I was like, hey, I know how to work a vacuum, how to sweep floors and take out trash. So it'll be a good part-time job, something to just get us going. And in a very short period of time, I went from being just one of you know, the day-to-day cleaners to running the crews in the evening to becoming his assistant operations manager to the operations manager. And then he graduated from med school and was getting ready to do his internship. And 
One of those fun things they don't tell you ahead of time about med school and internships is you are not allowed to do any other work outside of medicine. So he had to sell his company. And he was like, hey, Alex, you and your wife want to buy my company? I was like, you know, it's good work. It's a job. Jobs in education aren't available right now. So I'm going to be working as a substitute teacher. And sure, we'll buy the company. So we bought the custodial cleaning company and ran it for a while. But unfortunately, the economy tanked shortly after we bought the company. And in a period of about six months, we went from having several dozen clients, several dozen employees to having to let go of everybody and had to cancel the contracts because a lot of businesses realized that they could tell their employees to take out their own trash and vacuum up their own spaces and save some money. So then I was like, well, okay, I don't have the small business to lean on anymore. I need to get into education because that's where my degree was and did a lot of interviewing and ended up landing a job teaching fourth grade in Urbana, Illinois which was great for me because fourth grade was what I wanted to do since I was in fourth grade. So the small business was kind of a sidestep in the path. But when I interviewed for that job, the principal told me one of the things that was really appealing to her was that I had experience outside of education. She said that she noticed that a lot of educators were children of educators who all their lives have been in education. And she's like, we really need to get some fresh blood, fresh ideas of people who have done something outside of the realm of K-12 education. That's an interesting story. I mean, right, a lot of times we find that people that have these winding paths to get where they want or took those sidesteps often turn out to to do a lot of reflecting on why they're there and, and why, they are, why they're educating the way they are or they want to lead the way they do. You mentioned that that whole sidestep piece. Did you ever really let go of the idea of education or is it something that always sat in the back of your mind even while you were running your own business? You know, even while running the business, I was still doing substitute teaching. And it was interesting that running the business, I still saw that I had opportunities to educate, to train my staff, the employees I worked with, and even the clients we work with to help them understand the rules and regulations for doing custodial work. It's not simply a matter of going in and sweeping up dust off the floor. There's policies we had to follow, government regulations. We we had a contract cleaning a school and holy cow, I did not realize how many regulations are involved in keeping a school clean until we got that contract and found out, oh yeah, there's a lot that has to go in because it's children in the building. And that school, especially, it had early childhood program that started at six weeks. So we had to like keep some of the areas super spotlessly clean the whole time because there were infants in the room. So even while running that business, I still saw myself as an educator, just educating a different kind of group of people. So one of the things that stood out to me, um, along with this whole, your whole pathway in education is geek of all things. Help me out. How'd you get that title? And and uh, what what does that mean? You know, there's some people like they geek out about one specific thing. Like they may be all about like, you know, fantasy, fantasy novels and stories. Or, you know, you, you have the sports geeks. They don't really like to use the name, but jocks, they are very much sports geeks. And it is, they're all about that one thing. And a lot of people, they just, they find that one thing that they're just super passionate about and that's their one hobby. And I found that me, I, I love all the things. 
So if someone comes up to me and is like, hey, have you played this board game before? And I'm like, no, I haven't. Tell me more about it. And then within a couple of years, I'm looking across from me. You can't see here, but we have this giant double wide bookshelf that has about 300 different tabletop games on it now. That science fiction stories, fantasy stories, I love them all. TV shows, it's, you know, the British television, all of those things. It's just like all the things that I geek out about are just all encompassing. So like that's why I call myself the geek of all things, because if there's something that you geek out about and you tell me about it, chances are I'm going to start geeking out about it also, because I just, it's, I love learning all those new things and I just find everything in the world fascinating. That's cool. So is there one thing, I know you're the geek of all things, but is there one thing you're passionate about around education and what would that be? Around education? These days, especially, I'll say it's professional learning. Like it is, and it's not just because it's my job title. I feel like I came into the job because it was something I was so passionate about that I see professional learning being the thing in education that brings all the pieces together, all the grade levels, all the content areas, all the job responsibilities, that education is so much more than just instruction in the classroom that even the office staff, they are part of education and that professional learning is for everybody. One, one of my goals in my job in my district is that when we're doing institute days, that it's not just our certified staff who are participating, but I want to get our classified staff in there, our custodians, our bus drivers, our lunchroom supervisors, our secretaries, all of them to get them in because we are all in it together to support the learning of students. And I find that like custodians, they know so much about our students. They know things about our students that the teachers don't know just because they pass them in the hall and they hear conversations. But then when we're having the discussions and meetings about those students, we never ask the custodians to come in and share their insights, their thoughts. So it's becoming, it's just, it's my passion is to get professional learning, to be professional learning for each and every single person in the school system and even bringing in the community. I would love business leaders and families and caregivers to be a part of this so that we recognize we're all in it together to help the students get what they need. Now, you said something, you call it professional learning. And I know there's different, among the different areas that hear this podcast, the listeners that live in different areas, there's different terms for everything. Typically, when we say professional learning, we, we talk about professional development. However, I think there might be a different reason that you call it professional learning instead of development. Is there? Yeah, really, it's because professional development, PD, ProD, whatever people call it, depending on where they are, it just has a bad taste in a lot of teachers' mouths. A lot of times when they hear professional development, they think of sitting in the room where there's one person talking to everybody in the room about the same thing, the same topic. And the example I always use is the PE teacher who's at the back of the room wondering why on earth he's sitting through his 30th training on guided reading when he knows very well that he is never in his profession as a physical education teacher going to be doing guided reading lessons the way a classroom teacher would. Yes, we can bring them in and help them support like instructional groups if they're doing some sort of differentiated thing, like when time is growing in popularity and differentiating with MTSS. But the reality is physical education teachers have a very different skill set and very different professional needs than your first grade teacher who's in the classroom. And when we call that just professional development, are we really developing the professionals in the room? Most of the time, we're only developing some of them. More often than not, PD is 
provided as a, as I mentioned before we started recording, it's, it's the one size fits none. It's we're checking a box or saying, yep, everybody did it. There are some things everybody needs to receive that training on. Bloodborne bath pathogen training. Everybody needs to go over that review every single year. It's a legal liability. As a colleague of mine puts it, though, if it's wet and sticky and not yours, don't touch it. And there we go. We've got that training finished. We can like say, yep, we're good to go. Let's move on to things that are more important. So I very intentionally refer to it as professional learning because as educators, we are constantly talking about being lifelong learners. We want our students to be lifelong learners. We want to be lifelong learners. We don't talk about being lifelong developers. Like, what, what does that even mean? So I, I prefer the term professional learning because that, that to me captures what it is we're really trying to do. We're trying to learn as professionals in our field so that we can be better at what we're doing. Because if ever I get to a point where I say I've reached the peak, I can't learn anything more, I have achieved it all, I hope that's the time when somebody comes and smacks me upside the head and says, all right, it's time for you to leave because that's not what we need in education. We don't need people who think they know it all. We need people who are wanting to con continually learn and grow in their field. That's interesting. And, and thanks for that answer. It makes me think of the idea if you're being developed, you can only be developed in one area at a time where learning seems to be a more all-encompassing type of thing, which hearkening back to what you had said earlier in the show the idea that, you know, you're the geek of all things where some people have that hobby and they're slotted. And when I, when I think of professional development or professional learning, which I'll be more careful to call it now after talking to you and listening to you, the idea that how do we get, how, so how do leaders get engaged, get engagement from individuals when they may be very narrow focused on what they're interested in or what they geek out about? So Keeping that in mind and thinking about professional learning being a more all-encompassing type of thing, can you break it down a little bit for the listeners of this show? So, so how does that get done for teachers? I mean, that's your job title, right? How do leaders get that done for teachers? I think it starts with a model that we started implementing in my district. It's something I'm really proud of is what we call branching growth. It's a differentiated approach to professional learning and it's recognizing what is the learning that needs to happen? Who is the audience and what is it that they need out of it? And we, we have taken our professional learning, we put into four different progressions. That first one, our progression one is, it's a thing that it's essential. Everybody needs it in the same format at the same time. Maybe it's something brand new to everybody in the system. Maybe it's those things that are legally required. As I mentioned earlier, like bloodborne pathogens, first aid, Everybody needs to know how to use an EpiPen and you need that refresher on it because if you ever need to administer an EpiPen to someone, you need to know what you're doing. Like that's, that's a life-saving measure. And then we get into our second progression, which is structured learning. It's where we think about our school improvement plans, district improvement, professional goals that we have. If there's a teacher who maybe they're on a professional growth plan because there's some areas that they need to improve in order to be more effective as an educator. That's where, as a school leader, it's looking at what the teachers need and providing those options for them, but then differentiating those options. And we have in my school district, all, I think all of our elementary buildings are doing work on guided reading. So school leaders are providing that training on guided reading. But some of the teachers have been doing guided reading for longer than, you know, 
almost longer than I've been alive at this point. Like they've, they've gone to the workshops. They, you know, they have the book signed by Jan Richardson and all the other people. They, you know, they're on first name basis with her. They probably have her phone number. They don't need training on how to do guided reading, but they might need something on how do I fine tune this work? How do I make it more effective? How do I balance my time? Maybe they can, they reflect on the work they do and they realize, oh, you know, I'm spending too much time on my mini lesson and therefore I'm not getting enough time to get to all of my groups. So the learning they need is more of a time management than the structure of what to do. But as the school leaders, that means that we are getting into the classrooms and we are seeing what teachers are doing. We are in there to actually see and we're not looking for everything that's going on. We're going in with a very clear, specific purpose. So I'll stay on the guided reading focus just because that's something that we're doing a lot of work on right now. As a school leader, when I go into a classroom, I'm looking specifically for guided reading. So if I go in and the teacher is doing a math lesson, I'm like, oh, you know what? Let me come back another time. But they might be like, hey, actually, can you stay in here and just give me some feedback on what's going on with this math lesson? I'm like, okay, yeah, I can do that. But making sure that I'm using my time to provide the feedback for teachers for what they need, instead of just kind of going in and like, well, I'm just going to get a global view of all the things that are going on. Um, my concern is when we start to do that, it turns into an issue where everything is important. And when everything is important, nothing's actually important. We need to be able to prioritize. And that's, what I think, one of the first things school leaders can really do. And that way they can channel their teachers and they've built up that relationship with them. So I can be like, hey, Chris, while I was in your room, I noticed this. So when we have this professional learning opportunity, here's what I want you to be able to focus on. And you're like, oh, okay. Like, yeah, you saw it. We've had the conversation. You're supporting me in my professional learning instead of just being like, okay, everybody's sitting through the same thing at the same time. We then have our third progression that we have is the guided learning. And that's where we get more of, those are going to be things like book studies, where we're going to say, you know, we had a keynote speaker come to an institute. And like, just as an example, we recently had Jed Derryberry from South Carolina. He came out and talked about the Playful Classroom. He wrote a book. Well, co-wrote the book. We bought a bunch of copies of the books and said, hey, who in the district would be interested in reading this book? You'll get professional learning credits. You'll get a stipend for your time outside of work. So we're going to pay you. You're going to get those hours that you're required to report to the state. And we've had, I believe it's somewhere in the range of almost 50 teachers in the last year who have done this book study. It was voluntary, but it's been guided. We didn't just give them the book and say, good luck. We gave them discussion questions. We set up a place where they can meet and talk with one another. And then we're, the fourth progression is one we're still building towards. It's the one where it's the independent learning. It's where we want to see all teachers get to where they just go out and do learning on their own. That could be listening to podcasts, doing Twitter chats, joining Facebook groups, going to conferences on their own time. They're self-selecting the learning that they need. And again, it all goes back to with your question of how do school leaders support that? We got to get out of our offices. You can't lead from the office. You can't guide teachers and support teachers when you don't know what's going on. And it can't be the, well, I'm legally required to be in your classroom three times in a year. So I'm going to be there in like October, January, and May. No, like it's, 
My suggestion is school leaders. I say that if you're in an elementary building, every teacher, every classroom, every single day. If you're in a middle school building, every teacher, every classroom, every week. And if you're at a high school, because most high schools are enormous compared to a middle school, saying, well, your high school usually have your assistant principals, your other administrators. So you say, among your administrative team, by the end of the week, every teacher should have seen at least one administrator in their classroom that week. And by the end of the month, every administrator should have made it into every single classroom in their building at least once. And that way we know what's going on. And then we can actually provide that support and plan professional learning that's actually going to be meaningful for teachers, meaningful, not just teachers, meaningful for everybody who's being involved in that. So the teachers, the paraeducators, like I said, the custodians, the secretaries, the lunch supervisors, the bus drivers. If you have contact with students, you need meaningful professional learning. Thank you for everything you just said. One and and just so I can echo back, I mean, it was clear enough with your um, your four different progressions going all the way from essential, where basically everybody gets it to the independent piece. Where look, you've progressed to a point that you you really need to self select how you're going to grow yourself. I want to talk more about that those last two progressions, that third one that's guided, and then the the fourth one that's independent in a little bit. But first, I want to I want to highlight the idea of what you said. It's about being visible. It's about being in classrooms. It's about understanding. So you have a a pulse of the needs of what people have, because then you can help them with their selections or, or you can select for them in some cases where, where that may be the need. I, like I said, I want to get, I want to get to those other, talk a little bit more about that third and fourth progression. But first, I just want to take a second hear from our sponsors and then come back. All right. And we're back with Alex. And, you know, when we left, Alex, you had just laid out a, a great tool that the listeners, I, I really hope they, they go back and pick up if they didn't the first time, is that those four progressions, when we're talking about professional learning and how important that is. And when we got to the third one, the guided learning piece, like you had mentioned book studies and things like that. And then the fourth one, which is the independent one, that higher tier, you know, I think leaders, and, and this is transferable to classrooms too, for teachers to be doing with students. I think that those first two, right, are, are fairly familiar. They're comfortable for leaders and, and there's that structure. So leaders are pulling those off. But that third and fourth one gets a little trickier with how you get people to do those different things, how you make sure that people are getting what they need or self-selecting. Can you talk to us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So I think first of all, first and foremost is you need to be willing to offer it. And that does mean giving up some of your control because you are trusting your professionals to be professionals. And I remember the first time I said that to a group of teachers, I just happened to be walking by and they were meeting about something. They had a question and it's like, well, you know, you're, you're the art teachers. We trust you to be the professionals to understand what you need to do as art teachers. And they were like, wait, do you mean that? Like you actually trust us to be professionals? And I said, yeah, I do. And they said, well, that hasn't always been the case in our district. And I want to say that I am so fortunate, like the, the leadership team in my district from, you know, our superintendent down to our building principals, our assistant principals, they are, they, they are truly an amazing group of men and women who respect the professionalism of the educators in the district and are constantly saying, what can we do to support you and help you grow as a professional? We know that's not always the case in all districts. It, it hasn't always been the case in this district where I work now. Like I've only been in the district, I'm going into my fifth year, but 
teachers will tell me about the past trauma of former leaders, you know, years and years ago who did not respect the professionalism of those teachers. But by trusting them, we, we came and we said, okay, we want to provide learning opportunities for you. You know, when I first proposed this idea of creating like this progression three of like book studies, inquiry groups, opportunities for teachers to meet and learn together, it wasn't being done in my district. And I asked like in, in like team meetings where I'm like, why aren't we offering these? And there was someone who was like, oh, well, we don't offer them because nobody comes to them. And I was like, how do they come to something that we're not offering to them? <laughs> we, we have to offer it. Yeah. Like if we offer it and they don't come, then we can address that issue. But if we don't offer it, of course, they're not going to come to it because there's nothing to go to. So we said, okay, what are the things that you as educators need? And that's where we've, we've started with book studies, especially because those are, there's something teachers are familiar with and it's, it's something that's comfortable. They can go back and refer to. So we would bulk order books and say, okay, we have 25 copies of this book. This is how it's related to the professional work that we as a district are doing. Or sometimes it's been, this is what you and your building are doing. We had a couple of our buildings wanted to really focus in on restorative practices for education. So we did a bulk order of the book, Hacking School Discipline, because it has a lot of information about restorative practices. We got those, so then the teachers were able to read them. They self-selected, and they read it, and they referred back. So we saw that as we were trusting that professionalism of the educators, they are taking advantage of it. They have a teacher who was notorious for teaching from behind a desk who decided to do a book study on the playful classroom. And people were like, wait, the person who's notorious from lecturing from behind a desk is doing playful learning. And as this teacher has been going through and like reading the book and sharing feedback, they're like, I'm so excited about the idea of like just completely changing my instructional practice and he's getting the support to do that. I think in the past people have like, well, that's just what this teacher does. And you know, that's just who they are. And we're just going to leave it at that. But we said, here's this opportunity. And the teacher said, yes, I want to learn how to grow in that work. But we have had building principals, though, who are reaching out to staff in their buildings and saying, hey, we have these different book studies that are being offered. This one would be really great for the work that you do in your building. We really want to encourage you to do it. And by the way, I'm going to be doing it with you. That has been phenomenal when building principals are signing up to do book studies and they're not the ones leading it. Because then the teachers are like, ah, cool. Like the principal's learning with us. So that's, I think that's how we really build up that, that progression three. We have to trust professionals to be professionals. That's what I think it really gets down to is that it's, it's based in that, that trust and support of those educators that they will, they will do what they need if they're given the opportunity to do so. That's fantastic. I, I especially like the idea of personally reaching out. Again, it's, you know, I, I'm such a strong believer and supporter of trusting professionals to be professionals. And then um, the whole idea of just knowing your people. That's so important to know your people because then you can do those things that you're talking about. The idea of personally reaching out, letting people know what's going on. And just that whole communication piece about these options are out there. Because I, I, I'm also a firm believer, and, and it looks like you're living this a little bit, but 
once you offer these things to people and they try, the first one isn't going to blow the doors off of everything. But then the people that go, word's going to spread. And then more people are going to go and more people are going to be interested. So that's that's excellent. Staying away from that, that's the way it's always been, like that teacher behind the desk. Nobody's yeah. Nobody's coming to work to just kind of mail it in. They want to be good at what they do and be recognized for that. So... Yeah, and I, I do think I, I should point out when we first started doing this, it was brand new for our district. We hadn't been doing it before. So the very first book study, one of them, I had three teachers sign up for it. But I had told them, I said, look, I'm we're going to offer this. If I only have one person come, that is one more than we currently have. So there was one, yeah, there were only three people who signed up for the book study. But then we offered it a second time and we had 15 because their colleagues were like, this is a really good book. You should all read this. Alex has like 20 more copies sitting in his office. So sign up and he'll send it to you. And you get to keep the book. You can write in the margins. You can highlight. You can dog ear the pages if you want to. Like it's your book. So that's been, I'll say that's another thing that's been important is when we do book studies, we're giving the books to the teachers to keep. And sometimes districts will be like, oh, you know, we're going to like barcode them and check them out and then take them back. I'm like, no, I want those books on the teacher's shelf so they can refer to it again. I'm so happy you circled back to that because, you know, a lot of times these little things that get overlooked are actually huge things. And whenever we do book studies in my school, the teachers get the books. And I've heard more comments than that from the first time I did. They're like, you mean you mean I get to keep this? And then they come to book studies with them all marked up with little, you know, the tiny little strips of sticky notes sticking out of them and the, the writing in the margins, like you said, the margin notes, but simply for the fact that you brought up that you want them sitting on their desk so that they refer to them. But that's, that's excellent. Hey, look, we're, we're getting near the end of the podcast. And there's two questions that I ask everybody that appears on the podcast. Um, so we're going to, we're going to hit those now and, and see where we go with that. First one is if you weren't an educator, who, not what would you be? So it means that I've been thinking about this question a lot. Since like I started listening to your podcast, I hear the question every time. And I feel like my answer is going to be a cheat answer. But I'm sticking with it because if I were not an educator, I would be me. I, I am who I am. And the reality is that being an educator is part of who I am. I mentioned like when I was running a small business, I educate as a Boy Scout leader. I educate as a volunteer drug prevention specialist. I educate when I'm like just playing tabletop games with family and friends. I'm an educator because that's just who I am. And it's just, that's me. I am like, I don't think anyone ever, those who know me, I don't think anyone's ever like, oh yeah, Alex, you know, he's not going to teach you anything. Like it's just, that's just who I am. Um, I think I mentioned to you before we started recording, I had spent a semester studying in Australia and my friends there were like all the time, they would ask me questions because they're like, we're going to get the answer faster from you than if we tried Googling it. They're like, you're like, you're a walking encyclopedia. So then they're like, they start calling me the Alexpedia. They're like, you just, you have that information and you're, you don't just tell people the answers though. You help them understand what they are. So yeah, if I were not a teacher, I, I would just be me, which is being an educator anyway. I don't, I don't think that's a cheat answer. I think, you know, whatever you do, you find that you're educating people. So I don't, I don't think that's a cheat answer at all. You know, we've, we've talked about quite a few things and, you know, you shared the, um, the progressions that you had. You had a lot to say about professional learning. So thank you for that. I, I, I think that's going to be really valuable to people. But along with all the stuff that we've talked about, 
What's the most important thing or piece of advice that you would give to leaders as they work to better support, engage, and empower those they lead? Well, I mentioned it earlier, and I'll go back to it, is you have to get out of your office. Email can be read before the day starts. It can be read at the end of the day. It can be read when you're pretending that you're going to eat lunch, but you know very well that that sandwich is going to sit on your desk for like three more hours before you finally get a chance to eat it. But it's when your teachers are in the building, you need to be out among them. When the students are in the building, you need to be out among them. Yes, it's okay to go into your office to check something or you need to take a phone call or maybe there's an email from like, you know, the superintendent that you need to get back to. But that needs to be the smallest portion of the day. Like just the most important thing you can do is just get out of the office, lead from within the classrooms, in the lunchroom, in the halls, so that if you want to be able to support, engage, and empower those who lead, they need to see you. I love that acronym of yours. And I hope that's, I kind of think that's where it came from is that if you're going to be doing those things, they need to see you as a leader because you can't see the leader when they're barricaded behind a desk. Fantastic. Makes me think I want to ask you a question, your opinion on something, because they were all the rage for a little while and then every once in a while they come back. But those rolling desks, the stand up rolling desks that some leaders have taken into the hallway so that they're in the hallways and they can do their work in the hallways. You got an opinion on those? Good thing, bad thing, half and half? I think if it works for you, go for it. I know some principals who they use it. We have a principal in our district. She uses it and you can never find her in the building because she's just constantly moving here and there. And like she actually has two of them because her building has two floors and no elevator. So she has one on the second floor, one on the first floor. But, you know, it it works for her. I don't know if it would work for me because I think that just knowing who I am, I'll get too distracted by what's popping up on my computer screen. And I want to be when I'm when I'm present, I want to be fully present. So when I'm if I'm in a classroom, I don't want to bring my laptop in because then my body's in the classroom, but I'm not in there. So then what am I doing in there? Like they're seeing me, but what they're seeing is someone who is doing other things. And then to me, that's kind of like that that would be just what it would do for me. But I know other educators who that rolling desk is phenomenal for them. It works really well. So I'd say it's If the tool works, use it. And if it doesn't, use a different tool. Yeah, no, absolutely. I I know a couple of people that it works well for, but I'm always hesitant to get one because I have that same fear that you have. I, I have that fear that I'd be on my computer the whole time while it was there in front of me. So instead, I personally, I have a stand up desk in my office, you know, one that just sits on your regular desk that you raise up. And I find that that keeps me out of my office more besides me scheduling being out of my office but I can run in to do something quick. Like you had mentioned, if you have to go in and do something real quick, I run over to my keyboard, it's standing up, fire up the computer and I can just do it. And then I just leave again because I'm just standing there. But um, yeah. So I, I just wondered your opinion on those things. Do you, um, you know, you've, you've said a lot today. I, I can't imagine that somebody might not want to get back in touch with you, especially about that, that progressions model. What's the best way for people to reach out and get in touch with you? Mm-hmm. You know, it's fun. I Google my name every now and then just to confirm, but I am like the only Alex T. Valencic in the world. And any of the social media platforms, if you try to find me, you're going to find me. Alex T. Valencic, just all is one word. My email, my personal email address is alex.t.valencic at gmail.com. But thing is, the periods don't actually have anything to do with the email address. Someone shared that with me a little while ago and just like blew my mind. But the periods in a, like a Gmail address don't do anything. 
So if you put alexkeyvalensic at gmail.com, it'll still make it to me. So really, it's like the easiest way to find me, though, is just throw my name in the Google machine and you'll find a way to contact me. That's excellent. So you're so you're telling me that when you're when you're doing an email address, at least in Gmail, that the the periods don't matter. So like if I have a Gmail address, because we use Gmail at my school and my my email address at school is Christopher.jones at whrsd.org. If they just did Christopher Jones, it would be this, it would just send it anyways. I think so. I know it does for personal Gmail accounts. I had a student who I mentioned this and he decided to test out. He put a period after every single letter of my name and it still got to me. Huh. I wonder the why periods they... will just make it easier to say it. It's yeah. easier to remember. It's like, oh, here's like the break that I'm putting in there. So not cool. really here or there, but yeah, if someone wants to get a hold of me, just Google Alex Kivalensic and something's huh. going to pop up. You'll see my picture, you know. A lot of the pictures are me with my bow ties, but I wear regular ties too, so. <laughs> Good deal. Well, Alex, thanks for coming on today. I really appreciate it. I think you, you offered a, a lot of value to the listeners and I think they're going to they're gonna get something good out of this episode. So thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I look forward to connecting with your listeners. Well, that's a wrap, but not the end. Next step, be sure to take action on something you heard here today. Thanks for listening to the Scene to Lead podcast. If you'd like to connect for any reason, email me at drchrissj at gmail.com or catch me on Twitter at Jones. If you've gotten any value from the Scene to Lead podcast, you can help me and other leaders create a world-class environment through a teacher-centric approach by subscribing to the show, leaving an honest rating and review, and sharing this episode on social Social media with your most valuable takeaway. Learn more at drcsjones.blog. Continue to improve and go have a successful week. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master's schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash B to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E.